Turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 1. If you're using the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 909. I'll be reading verses 1 through 11 of chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you in the heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Lord, bless us by your Holy Spirit that we may embrace your word and trust you and live out your word in new ways as the Holy Spirit gives us that grace. Oh, bless us, Lord, we pray. Amen. We live uh, in a day where there is so much skepticism in regard to uh, rule and authority and power. Uh, We are told again and again that Gen Xers are skeptical of any power, any, any claim to truth even, they see this as the manipulation of power, any claim of right and wrong or claim of a religion to be the true religion, they interpret that as just another statement of power on the part of those people, trying to manipulate and then abuse that power. And of course, we see so much constant abuse of power around the world politically, don't we? even within our own nation of relative freedom and relative justice in, in comparison with many places, we see so much that can make us skeptical of power. So it, it's interesting in that atmosphere that our message is one of a king and a kingdom, not exactly the most winsome message. We are no different really than the Roman Empire because as they spoke of a king and a kingdom, they went up against an emperor who claimed that he was the representative of God. And so it was not popular then for different reasons. So how do we approach this when it is such a common thing in Scripture? For instance, in Luke's first part of his two-part work. He's got Luke and he's got Acts. In Luke, he's, Jesus, 
and others speak of the kingdom 30 different times. It is a message about the kingdom of God. And at pivotal points in Acts, the kingdom is mentioned. Right here at the beginning, it says, here he is after his resurrection, and he was speaking about the kingdom of God. So what is this kingdom? How do we proclaim it? What, how do we understand our, our membership in it? Uh, what is its character? And also, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with it? Because this is supposedly a launch into the teaching of the Holy Spirit. We've entitled this uh, The Holy Spirit and the Kingdom of God. And uh, this, this passage itself really launches us into uh, the new form of the kingdom of God, which is carried out by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look, first of all, at what I'm calling the pivot of the kingdom here in Acts chapter 1. The pivot of the kingdom. What do I mean by that? Well, when Jesus began to proclaim, even when John the Baptist began, began to preach, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Means it's, it's butted up against you. It's right here and now. Uh, John said this. Jesus said this. Uh, later, it's it stated again and again that they, the, the kingdom of God is, is present among you. Um, so, it, it was puzzling, though, to even John the Baptist, who said that. And this gives you some idea of his misunderstanding of the kingdom. He actually sent word to Jesus when he was in prison. And he said, are you the one who is to come or should we look for somebody else? Not a strange question for John the Baptist to ask. The reason is that the Jews expected that when Messiah came and when the kingdom came, it would mean that Israel's foes foes or enemies are vanquished and that Israel would be freed politically and they would inherit the earth, basically. And God would set up his rule and remove evil from the world. So you can see here where John is now in prison and he's looking around and saying, so far, I just don't see it. You know, I just don't see the kingdom happening here. And actually sends word to Jesus, did I have it wrong? You know, like, are you really the guy or or is it going to be somebody else? Because he just didn't see anything that looked to him like the kingdom was showing up. And it's interesting, Jesus' answer Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Now, that's virtually his redefinition of the kingdom. That's his answer. Am I the one? Look what's happening. Is this the kingdom? Look what's happening. Absolutely, this is the kingdom. Not as maybe you understood it, was going to be but this is the kingdom of God here is the power of God manifesting itself before your eyes the kingdom of God is here and so we learn from Christ and later from the apostles themselves that it's actually not in the first place this finally uh, finally consummating kingdom that restores the whole world that is coming 
But this form of the kingdom, it's a kingdom of redemption, a kingdom of rescue, a kingdom of liberation, not from political bondage, but from the greater bondage of sin and its curse and its judgment and its guilt. That's what this kingdom is about. It is going to be a progressive kingdom of rescue in this world. And it will finally end in the consummation of the whole restoration of the world. But then, of course, a question could be asked, well, when Christ leaves, is the kingdom going to leave? Because it was obvious that with Christ's presence, the kingdom was present. He said the kingdom of God is at hand because here I am. Here is the king himself showing up, manifesting his kingly reign, his kingly influence in rescuing people. But what's going to happen when he leaves? What's interesting, just a few pages earlier in John 16, Jesus actually says this concerning his leaving. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So basically, instead of it being worse or we being debilitated somehow, hampered, crippled because Christ is leaving, and instead of it being that the kingdom could not carry on without Christ being here presently, uh, present and in person, Jesus is saying, oh, it's, it's going to be way better when I go. Because then I'll send the Holy Spirit. So this is the pivot that we're seeing right here in Acts chapter 1. The pivot of Christ going from being here, present on earth, his earthly ministry, to what we could call then his heavenly ministry. And so Luke here is making it clear that the story of Jesus is not complete by telling of the ministry, death, and resurrection of Christ, which he did in Luke. Now it is important to narrate what Jesus continued to do and teach from his position as the exalted one in heaven through the Holy Spirit that is poured out on the church. So you have the ministry of Christ, his earthly ministry, and then and, and it, you think about how localized that ministry was to not that many individuals just there in Palestine, and then you think in his uh, reigning from heaven and the pouring out of his spirit that his ministry has extended through the whole world. So indeed, as he said, it is to your advantage that I go, because unless I go, I will not, uh, you will not have the Holy Spirit. So through his spirit... Uh, in the ministry of his followers. So there's this unity of the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the church because Jesus had the Holy Spirit uh, fill him and empower him. And here is Jesus now filling and empowering the church to take upon itself the ministry. And you think how wide and incredible over 2,000 years the ministry of the church has been. You get a little feel for why Jesus actually said in John 14, you will do greater works than me. That's a puzzling thing. You think, how in the world can that be that we're going to do greater works than you? Well, he's not saying like 
He did certain miracles. We're going to do greater miracles. We'll raise more people from the dead. But he's especially talking about the gathering of people to submit to him as Lord, the the calling of people forth to believe in Christ Jesus. So this ascension, again, is is a pivotal point when we move from uh, Christ's earthly uh, ministry. And and, and it becomes really the ascension ends uh, the book of Luke. So it's the termination of his earthly ministry, but it's the inauguration of his heavenly ministry, see? So there's this pivot, this watershed uh, moment in the life of Christ. It's the great climax of the gospel narrative in Luke 24, but now it's the great new beginning of the people of God. And so we're, even in the ascension here, It's a confirmation of Christ's heavenly enthronement because as he rises up, the the glorious uh, cloud, the glory cloud of God that you see in the tabernacle and you see on Mount Sinai and you see it leading them in the wilderness. You see it on the Mount of Olives at the transfiguration. That same glory cloud surrounds him and it shows that the presence and glory of God has come upon Christ and that he is beginning his reign in that way. It's really an announcement of the reign of Christ. And then next chapter, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, Peter says, there's the evidence that he is reigning. There's the evidence that the kingship of Christ is alive and well in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So it's interesting here how their question about the kingdom is answered in terms of the Holy Spirit, okay? It almost seems like he totally ignores their question, but he doesn't ignore their question. They're asking, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's kind of John the Baptist's question. Is this it? Now do we do it? Is this the consummation? Is this the end of everything? And first he basically tells them... uh, you know, that's a secret only God knows, and, and he's not telling anybody, and he's not telling you. Okay, that's the first thing. It's not for you to know this. But the second thing is this, <clears throat> excuse me, that his kingdom, his gracious saving rule will be extended through your ministry empowered by the Spirit. You want to talk kingdom of God? Here's how the kingdom of God <clears throat> looks from now on. The Holy Spirit empowers you and you carry out a ministry that shows forth the kingdom of God on earth. That shows forth the reign of Jesus upon this earth. And of course, as I said, the pouring out of the Spirit is the great sign of that kingly reign. The gracious rule of of Jesus Christ in his people's lives. And so, he's saying it really... However, it comes in its final fullness. It doesn't matter when that happens. But this is what matters is how it shows itself now in terms of his power operating through the spirit in your lives. So this is the great pivot of of Christ's life. And it's interesting. One scholar gives statistics to show that while the spirit is not mentioned much in the gospels and the kingdom is mentioned constantly then the kingdom is not mentioned much in the epistles or even in Acts, though it's mentioned several important places, but the spirit is mentioned constantly. 
So there's, there's indication that the kingdom of God that was so, that so proliferated uh, in the preaching in the, in the Gospels is replaced by here's the exercise of that kingdom through the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God manifests it now, itself now in the way the Holy Spirit transforms God's people and empowers them to affect the world. That's the reign of God upon this earth right now. Secondly, then, I want to look uh, at the good news of the kingdom. We've looked at this pivotal point of the kingdom, this pivotal uh, moment of the kingdom. And now I want to look at the good news of the kingdom. And this helps us understand the nature uh, of the kingdom as we look at this. It's interesting that in Matthew uh, 4 and Luke 4, etc., we read of this, that he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. Uh, even Philip says he preached good news about the kingdom of God. Now, this maybe seems like an anomaly because kingdom can have such negative tones about it. But this is the good news of the kingdom. Now, I want to uh, call something to mind. You remember, those of you who lived during this time, and some of you younger people may have read about it, but there was a time when the city of Berlin was divided. Communist East Berlin, free West Berlin, as we would call free. And so many people were moving from East to West that they finally built this huge wall to keep people from going from East to West. And then people actually repeatedly risked their lives to get from East Berlin, communist control, to West Berlin. Why did they do that? I would suggest to you that it was the good news of the kingdom. (laughs) The good news that there was another kingdom they could belong to. Another political structure that they could belong to. The good news of freedom, of opportunity, of justice, of protection from oppression. And... This, this is a good image for us to realize we're bringing good news to those who are in bondage to Satan himself, in bondage to sin, in bondage to self, in bondage to idolatry. And we are setting before them this gracious kingdom in which they don't have to dread God, but they could walk, come into the favor of God. They could have hope where they've never had hope before. They could have a clear conscience where they've never had a clear conscience as they think about God himself. And so this is the good news of the kingdom. It's interesting when Paul's talking about preaching the kingdom to the uh, elders at Ephesus. He says, I went about preaching the kingdom. And then he also says in that context, which was preaching about the grace of God, about the grace of God. And it's the good news of the grace of God. That's the kingdom. So this kingdom is about grace. It's about favor coming to people through what he has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's the good news that centers upon Christ. Uh, Luke later says that in Rome, Paul kept proclaiming the kingdom of God and telling them of Jesus Christ. 
It's interesting that this kingdom preaching can be defined by Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.2. I knew nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. That's the preaching of the kingdom. So it's, it's a kingdom in which there's this gracious king who has died for the people of the kingdom. Who has died even for his enemies. And so this is a kingdom that just turns you upside down in trying to grasp what is the nature of this kingdom. What's the nature of this king who would sacrifice himself? This gracious and kind king who releases us from the guilt and curse of sin. Who ultimately releases us from the damage of sin and the destruction of sin. We're captives by nature to sin and Satan. And he is the one that sets the captive free. He's the one who opens the prison for those who are bound. So you see, this is good news of a good kingdom. It's amazing that this kingdom is out there. And it's to be announced that others can come into this gracious kingdom. Others can escape from their kingdom And into this kingdom. Which then, as we talk about the good news of the kingdom, then we want to talk more then about the character of the kingdom. The character of this kingdom. As we come in under the sway of of this king, we read in scripture that he will begin to heal our lives of the effects of sin. He releases, he restores our lives to a true likeness to God. And in his gracious kingship, we are raised from deadness in sin to new lives of goodness and patience and kindness. And under his kingship, we less and less hoard our lives and hoard our time and our resources and more and more spend them lavishly for others, even as he spent himself lavishly for us. I love this definition of the kingdom that Paul gives in Romans 14:17. He says this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking because that was a big issue going on right there. He says here's the real essence of the kingdom of God. It's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now that's a kingdom hopefully that you'd want to be a part of kingdom you'd want to be a live member exhibiting those things of doing the right thing for people living with justice and fairness to people uh, living in joy living in shalom and peace with others and with God that's the nature of this kingdom the character of this kingdom being restored to God and to a likeness to God and here's the wonderful thing that It's a king that does this because we come to him weak and helpless. We come failing. We come struggling. We come enmeshed in so many aspects of sin. And we're to hear this as, wait a minute, this is a king who rules over all things. He can set me free. He can progressively change my life. Uh, to be more and more like Christ in very specific ways that I struggle with sin. That's why it's important for us to hear 
He's a true king. We need a king. We need one who's all-powerful, who doesn't come up against our deeply rooted sin and just throw up his hands and say, well, there's nothing I can do about that. He never says that. He's never his attitude because he is king over all things. And this kingship exercised in our lives means that we begin to focus our lives upon him instead of ourselves. There's the greatest liberation. To be released from, let's call it East Berlin into West Berlin, is to be released from living for myself to living for Christ, to be liberated from this little box of me to the huge expansion of Jesus Christ and his mission in this world and to give myself away to others in my life. And so Paul can say in Romans 14 that he died and lives again so that he can be our Lord, Lord of the dead and of the living, so that if we live or die, we live for him. And that's a gracious thing for him, to be the Lord, the gracious Lord for his people, to bring them into his mercy, to bring them into his kindness and his forgiveness and his transformation. And so all of this is affected, is brought about in our lives through the Holy Spirit. As God, as Jesus rules in his kingdom, he sends the Spirit. And so we read in a passage like Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and patience and self-control. These are, these are virtual promises for you and me. They're virtual guarantees of what God will do in your life because the Holy Spirit is poured out and he's exercising the kingship of Christ to bring us into conformity with, uh, uh, conformity with Christ. And it's interesting also, as you learn more about the character of the kingdom, in Matthew 18, Jesus says the kingdom is like a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And you may remember in that parable, he calls one of his servants in who owes him so much money and he forgives him of his debt. And then that servant turns to another servant who owes him money and he won't forgive him. And serious things happen to that servant because he didn't exercise forgiveness. Well, what is Jesus teaching us? He's teaching us that the kingdom of heaven will be a place of forgiveness and it will be a place in which we forgive one another. That's what this kingdom will be about. Isn't that good news? The good news is that this will be a place where you can know forgiveness for all of your sins. And then you can live in forgiveness to one another. That's what this kingdom is like. Or he says later in Matthew 22, it can be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast and the invitation went out to every kind of person. And there's a great thing to be a part of, to be a part of a kingdom in which we're told, invite anyone and everyone to come to this feast of salvation that is in Christ Jesus. To be a part of this message that goes out to draw others for him. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 2, and he calls it a fragrance of Christ. Here's what the kingdom is. You're being a fragrance of Christ in this world. What a glory. You're called salt. You're called light uh, because of this influence that you become in this world. 
when he speaks of the, to the Pharisees about their hypocrisy in Matthew 23, he shows that this kingdom will be one of sincerity, of earnestness, of vulnerability and confession and transparency and humility and patience. It will not be pharisaical. His kingdom will be real. Uh, it, 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 it will be honest in its approach to life. So this wonderful character of the uh, kingdom, which naturally goes to a fourth thing, the influence then of this kingdom. The influence of this kingdom. As the Holy Spirit can, produces this character in our lives, we also read in Ephesians 2 how we're formed as a community. How we're formed in unity and love with one another. This bearing witness that he speaks of in Acts chapter 1, it's a community project, you see. As we become uh, this manifestation of the rule of Christ in heaven, we become a little outpost of the kingdom. We anticipate the kingdom. People can see the kingdom in action in our lives as we exhibit this character of Christ. They see the sacrificial love of the body. They see our mutual honor to one another, no matter who the individual is. They see us truly counting one another as more important than ourselves and the way we embrace and care for and show hospitality, no matter who it is, no matter their race or class or education. In that, we form this gracious community that embodies this gracious king. In that way, you see, it's our very lives that are a fragrance of Christ. This kingdom gives off a sweet fragrance of the beauty of Christ and its relationship. It was interesting this morning as we were uh, in the Meet the Pastor class, people were sharing how they came to significant times in their lives that God was dealing with them. And again and again, they talked about it was seeing the love of God's people that drew me, that changed me, that made me see the reality of the gospel. And so we get to be a part of this kingdom that has such an influence. And though the headquarters of the kingdom is the church, you might say, right? This is our, the place where we receive our orders and receive our encouragement, etc. But then we bring the kingdom into every sphere of human life. As the Spirit dwells in us and Christ rules in us, we bring that kingdom to all places of society. And in our uh, efforts to bring our influence of goodness into our culture, then we're like that. He says the kingdom is, of God's like a mustard seed that grows into a huge plant, or it's like a leaven that leavens the whole lump. And so we become this growing, expanding influence in this world. Again, we become salt and light. And we even pray, as we did this morning, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we mean that to be ultimately true, that he will come and his will will be completely done on the earth in the consummation. But we also mean now, Lord, more and more and more, may your kingdom show itself in our lives and in the way we influence others for good in our love and justice and righteousness and servanthood in this world. 
So, the language of Isaiah 61, speaking of Christ, and it would be of us too, is that he came to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's, there's a job description for you as members of the kingdom. You've been called to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty and the opening of prison, to proclaim the Lord's favor in this world. What a gracious kingdom to be a part of. And it's a kingdom and a king who will bring his blessings to this world. He will, and no one can stop him because he is the ruler over all things. Uh, he has all authority in, in heaven and in earth. And it's interesting that this, this is going to, it already has been millennia, right? Thousands of years. And John Frame says this, he says, this history being so long leaves space for dramatic moments, for ups and downs, twists and turns, longings and astonishments. Salvation is to be a great epic, not a short story. A great epic that God is bringing about. And you, brothers and sisters, are part of the epic story. Part of binding up the lost and, and opening the prison for those who are bound by your love, by your faithfulness, by your servanthood. And so, finally, let me just say this. Here's a real question for you and me, and that is entrance into the kingdom. Because you might think, okay, well, I'm either outside this kingdom or I don't belong to any kingdom, but that's not so. Here's Paul's description in Colossians 1. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we are either of the domain of darkness or we're in the kingdom of his son. Here's another contrast in Acts 26. He's praying that God would open their eyes, or he's rehearsing his ministry, that God would open their eyes, that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So the domain of darkness, the power of Satan, or, and remember what Jesus says of Satan, the murderer and liar from the beginning, the deceiver, the one who would molest you and abuse you and destroy you. But you either, I either, belong to his kingdom and his rule and take on his likeness in that I will live for myself and not for God. Or by his grace, I can be delivered and I don't become perfect, but I become different. And I truly belong to God and I truly have a beginning relationship with him and I truly begin to know his favor and forgiveness in Christ Jesus and I'm a part of the kingdom of his beloved son, which means if I belong to his beloved son, I'm among his beloved. It is radical in scripture. It is radical. And I would urge you, if you're here, that there is no neutrality. He's describing in another parable the division at the end of history when there's judgment. And he, he describes them this way. They're the people of the kingdom and the people of the evil one. And there's no middle ground. The people of the kingdom or the people of the evil one. Matthew 13, 38. 
But here's how it happens. In Matthew 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, treasure hidden in a field. A man finds it and covers up, and then in his joy he goes and sells everything he has to buy that field. You see, it's, it's a beginning insight into the treasure of this kingdom, the treasure of this king, the glory of belonging to this gracious, kind king, the glory of belonging to a king who would sacrifice himself in this way. Um, I just urge you, trust this king. Belong to his kingdom. Enter into his forgiveness and his beginning transformation of your life and be a part of this epic story. Be a part of the epic work of bringing light and goodness into this world through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord, bless us with continued sense of the glory and privilege of being a part of the kingdom of God through the precious work of Jesus Christ. And thank you for this king who, of all things, didn't just fall on the grenade to protect his fellow soldiers, but he actually went behind enemy lines to the enemies, to those who had rejected him. And when fiery judgment was coming upon them, most deserved, he stood in the way and bore off that wrath. Oh, Lord, what a king you are. You died for us when we were your enemies to rescue us and have us for your own. Lord, give us allegiance and joy in you to give our lives up to your gracious will. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.